Bill Show wish to thank our primary sponsors, The Mallon Agency, located in Springfield, PA, where they take pride in exceeding expectations every time. The Roselli Agency. Brian and his team of insurance professionals have been serving the needs of Chester County for more than two decades. Anthony DeCecco and our friends at Tennis Addiction are ready to serve all your tennis needs at their beautiful facility in Exton, PA. everyone to the Rosie and Bill show. When I first saw a video of our guests performing, I have to say, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And I was blown away by what I heard. And every video I watched thereafter was better than the last. And each one left me wanting for more. And more importantly, left me wanting and waiting for an announcement, an announcement that I'm hoping comes soon. An announcement saying something about our guests coming to perform in the Philadelphia area. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the Rosie and Bill Show, a musician, our recent Rock and Roll Hall of Fame guest, Danny Serafin, described as simply incredible, Nina DiGregorio. Nina, welcome to the show. Hi there. How are you? Doing great. Absolutely great. I'm so excited. <laughs> Before we begin, I, I just have to comment that I'm we're, we all have blue on. And Bill, I don't know what's gotten into you. I mean, we we were on television doing an Eagles promo, and now we've got the mafia over here. We've got... <laughs> well, we have to I, accommodate I was... your guests. <laughs> yes, yes. And for, for those of you, for the few of you who maybe haven't seen any of Nina's incredible videos on her socials, she often wears some Bills gear, including a really cool looking Josh Allen jersey, who's my second favorite quarterback to Jalen Hurts, but I love Josh Allen and I always want a Bills Eagles Super Bowl. That's what I'm look looking for every year. That would have been great last year. I feel like uh, I'm a little tired of Patrick Mahomes. So, <laughs> <laughs> so are we. Yeah, we are too. <laughs> that was extremely disappointing, but... <laughs> But anyway, okay, so back to you, Nina. Now, we understand that you started taking lessons and playing the violin at a very young age. What drew you to the violin? And honestly, I tried it once and I have very prominent collarbones. It was so painful. How did you handle it? Yeah, I have uh, all of the marks everywhere. It doesn't go away. <laughs> um, well, actually... I started the violin. It's a it's a very funny story. I didn't want to play the violin. 
uh, when we entered fourth grade in school, I was already playing piano. I had started asking very young for piano lessons, and I believe I started around six years old on piano. And when we entered fourth grade, we had to choose a band or orchestra instrument to learn for school. So I put down my first choice, uh, alto sax, second choice, tenor sax, third choice, Barry sax. I want to play the saxophone. One, because I love the music of the 1950s, like old school rock and roll. Two, because The Simpsons was really popular and Lisa Simpson played the saxophone and it was just <laughs> cool. So I put that down and the band director calls me into his office. He's like, well, are there any other instruments that you might want to play? We have a lot of people that really want to play the saxophone this year and we only have so many spots. And the other thing is you're, you're the smallest one. I don't think you're going to be able to carry this thing to and from the bus every day. I mean, I've always been the smallest person everywhere, no matter where I go. And uh, he's like, how about the violin? It's a lot lighter. And I was like, okay. So that's the story of why I play the violin. <laughs> it was decided by my fourth grade band director. You know, it's funny because how people are led where they need to go. Like who would have thought that that very innocent suggestion or need of the band director would turn into what it's become for you? It's turned into a career for me just by fate. Yeah, that's 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 incredible. When did you start writing arrangements for pop music? Because you were classically trained right on the violin. I was classically trained. I have a, a master's degree in in violin performance classical. And until I was in my early 20s, had only ever played in orchestras and string quartets and things like that. And um, I think I started writing pop arrangements at around 13 years old. I had put together a classical string quartet of my fellow classmates, and we used to play little local weddings. Like we were working musicians at 13, 14. Our parents would drive us to our gigs. We'd play wedding ceremonies. You know, we'd pack up my friend's cello and all of our instruments, and they'd drive us to go play weddings when we were very young, which was a cool way to have a stream of income at that age. Uh, you know, granted, we probably made $50 each per Per wedding, but that was huge money to a 13 year old. So we were happy about it. But um, I started to want, I was like, you know what, it would be really cool if we could play some of my favorite music at these wedding receptions that we do. So I think some of the first ones I did were Cashmere, Eleanor Rigby, Baba O'Reilly. Um, I did some Aerosmith songs. I did some Billy Joel songs. And I would listen to the parts and I couldn't afford music notation software on the computer. I was a, a kid. And so I would, you know, just get computer paper and I would draw the staff lines myself and I would hand notate the entire string quartet chart. And we would play them at local weddings in the Buffalo area as teenagers. And then eventually we would play in like Italian restaurants when we were older teenagers and things like that. And that's how I started writing my first charts. How did people react? So if you're at a wedding and they're probably expecting a certain type of sound and you start breaking out cashmere and Aerosmith, how did people <laughs> react initially? It's the same reaction that we get now decades later. It's, I've never heard a violin do that before. And they're always really excited. And no matter how many times people say they've heard Led Zeppelin, they've heard cashmere, when they hear that opening riff, they all do the same thing. You know, every <laughs> single time. So. Well, you had to be really good as a 13-year-old for people to hire you at weddings. I mean, people don't want their wedding messed up. My friends and I were pretty serious musicians. We did the New York State, all-state 
solo festivals, all state orchestras competing with, you know, Juilliard prep students and things like that when we were young. So we were, I was taking private lessons with a member of the Buffalo Philharmonic Orchestra and we were, we were serious musicians. We practiced and I was, you know, at the level where I could play wedding music decently by the time I was 13 or 14 years old. So it was, uh, it was fun. It was fun because my friends were also serious about it. Well, that definitely helps. Was there on, on a personal level, was there a moment or an event or anything? If you look back that, you know, something happened or something came to mind where you said, you know, music, I, I think that's the career for me. No, my whole life, I wanted to be a neurosurgeon. When I was five, six years old, I read books about the brain. I was pre-med as an undergraduate student, but I never wanted to quit violin. And every time I would try and quit, something so good would happen, it would just pull me back in so I couldn't quit. So when I'm at the point that I need to take the MCATs and start getting ready for preparing to go to medical school, <clears throat> my family takes a vacation to Las Vegas. To I have a few cousins that live in Las Vegas, and I just went with them when I was in college as an undergrad student. And we go to a show, and I meet Wayne Newton's music director after the show. The show um, was the Shintas, who are from Buffalo, and my family knew them from the Buffalo area and they hit it big and had like a headlining show at the Rio in Vegas at the time. And so the, apparently Wayne Newton had just lost one of the violinists in his show and they were trying to fill the spot. And the Shintas vouched for me and said, this girl's amazing. Like, you know, you got to hear her play. She's great. So I got offered a job to, to start with Wayne Newton. And instead of going to medical school, I was like, well, you know what? I could, since I'm going to go to Las Vegas, why don't I just take two years there? I'll play the show and I'll get my master's degree in violin performance at UNLV while I'm there because it's there and they offer it. So, so why not? And then I'll go to medical school after that. <laughs> well, here I am uh, still not a doctor. So <laughs> <laughs> that is incredible. I don't even know where to begin pulling that, that story apart. First of all, you don't set the bar too high, like this incredible musician and a neurosurgeon. <laughs> I, I did want to be a doctor. I don't know how wow. my parents feel about this career choice. But, uh, you know, after Wayne Newton, I got a job in Tony Braxton's band as a solo violinist. Um, I did some work with David Foster after that. I did some work with uh, uh, Cheap Trick and Deep Purple. I got to play with them and just one good thing after another kept happening and it kept delaying me from, yeah, I thought it was going to be a two-year blip. I go get my master's degree. I go play some fun gigs and get, get a little taste of that. And then that's it. And it turned into an entire career. And then I produced my own show and, uh, and here we are. Well, you know, Nina, I have to just ask, as, as you were saying, it kept delaying you. I'm wondering could it be that instead of delaying you, these things were coming together to direct you to kind of where you were meant to be? I think that that's probably the case. I mean, my entire career has kind of been one of fate. It wasn't like I ever set out and planned to have a music career. And in fact, I tried to exit my music career on numerous occasions. But then, like I said, some great opportunity would, would pop up in front of me. And it kind of led me one step after another. So I feel like, you know, I'm in the place that I should be, though, if I had another shot at it or a clone of myself, I, I would have gone either into astrophysics or been a neurosurgeon. So you're like, I think we're talking to a genius over here, Bill. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> well, let's fast forward, Nina, to a group that you started called Bella Electric Strings. How did that come about? Bella Electric Strings started kind of back what I was telling you about when I was 13 years old. I had an all-female string quartet. We used to play those little weddings. We were called the Sweet Expression String Quartet back then when we were little kids, but we always referred to ourselves as the Gangster Quartet, and we all had like Bugsy Siegel-type nicknames, and I was the Dapper Don of the quartet <laughs> back then. You know, it's a Buffalo thing. So, <laughs> so anyways, my first arrangement started with this group. Then we all went to college. We went our separate ways. We still sometimes keep in touch on social media and things, but we ended up in all different parts of the country. When I got to Las Vegas, um, I moved across the country alone. Uh, I was a broke college kid. Um, I didn't know anybody other than the job that I had, and I had to make my way from scratch while working on a master's degree in classical music and learning that repertoire and trying to work five jobs simultaneously to to pay my expenses on the West coast. And so I ended up getting hooked up with Yamaha through one of my friends who also played violin. She was a lady about 20 years older than me who had more connections in town. And she kind of took me under her wing. She said, I reminded her a lot of herself when she was young, like my sense of humor and things like that. And so <clears throat> we became friends and she introduced me to some people at Yamaha and I started doing clinics for them. And in return for doing clinics for Yamaha and going to the NAMM show and performing, uh, they would give me instruments to start this group. So these expensive electric instruments that once seemed so unattainable for me to be able to do, I was now able to own. So now all I needed to do was to get some backing tracks produced and to write even more arrangements so that we would have a full show. Um, I was able to get the Sibelius software. So we didn't, people didn't need to read my handwritten notes on napkins anymore for my charts. And it kind of all came together when I met uh, my friends at Yamaha and was able to get my first quartet of electric instruments. At that point, we put the group together. Um, my friend who um, unfortunately since has passed away from an illness, she's no longer with us, but she uh, introduced me to some of the local agents in town. And I eventually, uh, changed the name of the group to Bella Electric Strings. And we started doing a lot of corporate events, uh, sometimes over 200, 250 corporate events a year all over the world. And um, we have groups of musicians all over the country who play on our roster now. And from that, <laughs> excuse me, it's it's allergy season in Las Vegas. <laughs> so if, if you've ever been to the desert, it's just not a good thing. And I'm struggling with that right now. <clears throat> so anyways, after we'd been doing that a few years, someone came up to me and said, uh, I have a theater in New Mexico and I want you guys to do like a show. This is great. You got to take, you're doing all these guitar solos on violin. I'm like, they're like, do you have a, a, a stage show, like a production show version of this? And I said, why? Sure I do. And I took the gig, which was, you know, nine months out. And then I turned around. I was like, oh crap. Now I got to go write a production show because I didn't have something that was suitable for a ticketed audience as opposed to just you know background kind of corporate we just stand up there and play music so I wrote special arrangements um you know that really showcase the solos they flow like a production show we have video content that syncs with the music we sing in the arrangements there's some comedy and humor and choreography and audience interaction and I wrote the show that became the Femmes of Rock show that we tour now and um again by fate that some guy came up and said, I want to put you guys in my theater. Do you have a show? And I just said, yes. And then, then did it. And now we, now we have the show. So. Wow. 
that's that's incredible that you, and the fact that you have that fearless aspect is just like yes because you you believe in yourself and you know you can do it well um I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing because sometimes I bite off a little more than I can chew and then trying to make deadlines is, is difficult, but most of the time it's worked out for us. Yeah, and now Nina, you mentioned a couple minutes ago some of the names and some of the people that you've shared the stage with at different points in your career. Uh, what are some of your fondest memories looking back? And is there anything in particular that you took away as a, as a great experience or lesson learned from any of the folks that you've worked with? Um, there were a few moments that were like career moments where I remember being like, you know, this is, this is definitely something. One was I got to perform on television for one of Muhammad Ali's birthday celebrations. And we were performing with a lot of guest artists and uh, we are rehearsing prior to the performance and we didn't know who the guest artists were going to be. We were just, we were the orchestra who was going to be at the MGM Grand Arena who was playing. And, you know, they put some charts in front of us and I start fiddling with the chart to just kind of get my fingerings written down because we're sight reading them in the shows. And I realize it's superstition. <laughs> and I'm like, no, this can't be, it can't be. And sure enough, like I was playing with Stevie Wonder that night. And that was kind of a moment for me where I was like, I, I can't believe this is happening. I didn't know I was going to play with Stevie Wonder tonight. There he is. I'm on stage. There's Stevie. There's me. There we are on stage together on television. And that was one of those moments where I was just, you know, taken aback by it. Um, so I, I would say like, that's one of the things that I really remember being, being special. Has there been any songs or arrangements that you would jump out at you that you would say are the most challenging or really difficult? I always say that the Rush song, Losing It, that I covered on Facebook, YouTube, you can find it, with my fiance right after Neil Peart died, it was probably the most difficult solo I had to learn. <clears throat> it was kind of one of these things where I'm kind of going in blind a lot at the time. If you're a guitar player and you want to learn a lot of this repertoire, you could just go on YouTube and find hundreds of tabs, transcriptions, official, you know, scores, tutorials on how to play the crazy train solo or whatever you're trying to learn. But the violin is a totally different instrument and hardly nobody is doing this and especially not to the level to be teaching other people how to do it. So when I'm learning these things, I'm starting from scratch because there's no manual for it. There's, there's no way to learn it. And I'm not sure there's anyone that could even teach it to me because there's so few of us out there. So with losing it, I was able to find like a live recording uh, of one live recording of Rush doing it and then the studio take and there's no ISO tracks, there's no score that exists for it. And I had to retune my instrument to a different key. And also there's a lot of time signature changes in Rush's music. And when I realized that I had to tune my instrument to a different key than concert pitch, it became a lot easier for me. And at that point, I it went smoothly, but there was nobody there to tell me that. I had to figure it out. So that one was difficult. A lot of violin players can cover these solos, play the notes, sound great, but they sound like a violin. Now, how to make them sound like the instrument that you want to replace in a band is another story. It's a whole different talent to do that. And um, I actually made a video 
on my YouTube channel about exactly how I go about my process of recreating these solos. So if anyone's interested in like a longer version of it, they can check out that video on my YouTube channel. But pretty much um, you dissect how the original sounds, all of the styles that the guitar player used, the way it was recorded, the amp settings, and then you figure out how to replicate it on the violin. Some of the sounds like in Beat It, when I did Beat It, I don't have a whammy bar on my violin, so I use a Digitech whammy with my foot, which is different, because now I'm trying to like replicate some of these whammy things, but I'm not doing it with my hand, I'm doing it with a foot going in the opposite direction as my hand, and it takes some practice. And a lot of these things, I'll order a special pedal just for one song that I'm trying to get a specific sound for. Um, it took me a long time to figure out how to do tapping on a violin. It was like this very delicate balance of effects and settings. And I haven't quite launched my eruption cover yet, but you'll, you'll see it soon. So Nina, I'm wondering if you could create, um, because, you know, obviously you've, you've proven in the past that you'll, you'll take on challenges and, and you like you said, you'll, you'll meet those deadlines as, as difficult as it may be. But if you could create the perfect performance where would it be? What would the venue be like? Uh, what what would the what would it look like? What would it sound like? If, if you were to just use your imagination to create that ultimate performance for you, what would it be like? Well, I'll give you the exact scenario. This coming up year, the Super Bowl is going to be in my current hometown of Las Vegas. Mm. So, if the Buffalo Bills could get their rear ends to the Super Bowl this year. And I could play the Bills shout song or the Star Spangled Banner for the Buffalo Bills at the Super Bowl in my hometown. That would be that would be pretty great as a lifelong Buffalo Bills fan. Other than that scenario, which as a Bills fan, we know is highly unlikely of ever happening. Um, <laughs> you know, other than that, I'm a huge Beatles fan. And if one of the remaining Beatles, you know, ever gave me the opportunity to perform with them or write string arrangements for them, that would be that would be a, okay, I can retire now type situation. Well, I, I have a question because obviously with what you do with the group and your shows, you have to have a whole package. And you do. You have what Cyrano de Bergerac calls panache. You've got looks, you've got talent, all of those things. Now you have to have quite a wardrobe for that. How do you go about choosing the style and the mood of of the wardrobe and costumes you would think that i didn't think about this that much but i have a totally different wardrobe for live performance than i do for my social media videos and there's a reason for that in a live performance you're on stage you got the lights you have to look like a rock star right you got people buying tickets to see you play you need things that people are gonna be like whoa that doesn't look like something you would see every day so I have a wardrobe lady, Diana Eden, who um, you know has done a lot of shows, television stuff, and she's been our exclusive. She hand makes some of my outfits. I have a replica, a female version of Jimmy Page's dragon suit that she handmade for me. And so I'll wear that during some of my Femmes of Rock performances. And a lot of our stuff is custom made for that. And more rock and roll looking, you know, we got spikes, uh, you know, we got like the skirts and the boots and stuff like that. But when I'm in my home, like I'm, I'm just sitting here and I like maybe just ate a banana and now I'm going to film a video <laughs> and I, I don't feel right dressing like that just to do these covers. Also, 
being a female musician on social media, I did not want to get into the situation where people say, the only reason that people watch her videos is because she's showing her body. So I'm very careful to wear t-shirts and jeans in all of my social media videos. Well, I, I will commend you, uh, Nina. I think you've got some of the coolest concert t-shirts. I, I love the different, you know, you've got so many different bands and so many different cool tees that you wear when you're playing. And it really is a shame that that even has to be a factor in terms of how you look, because anyone who watches your video of anything of you playing should have the same reaction I do. Their jaw should drop and they should just be sitting there going, wow, she's amazing. I don't care what she's wearing. What have you got coming up for the rest of well, the year? Uh, May 5th and 6th, we're going to be in McHenry, Illinois, which is near Chicago. Uh, two shows at the Vixen with the Femmes of Rock show. Then we're going to my hometown, uh, Buffalo, New York area. We're going to be playing Canandaigua, New York on June 23rd and North Tonawanda, New York at the Riviera on June 24th. It'll be a, a fun homecoming. I haven't played home since before COVID, so this will be a big we've we've changed the show a lot we've added a lot of new medleys it'll be fun to go back to buffalo for that <clears throat> after that we are coming to the philadelphia area in september i believe this is hang on let me let me check because i just signed the contract today for it september 23rd to be exact um tickets are not on sale yet so don't bombard the venue yet but it's going to be at bluebell pennsylvania at montgomery County Community College. There's a wonderful theater there and they have a, a wonderful music program and they're going to sponsor our concert to bring us to the area. So um, it will be fun because we'll get to interact with the students and let them watch our sound check and kind of give them an idea of what to expect on a, on a, you know, from a professional tour date. Well, I know two talk show hosts, not too far from Bluebell that would love <laughs> to come and, and see you and meet you in person. For sure. Just let us know. That's great. Well, we look forward to it because you guys rock. It, it's it's such a unique show and you're also talented and it's high energy and just so creative and inspired. So congratulations for all that you've done. And I'm glad that you answered the call to to be a musician because, uh, you know, I'm sure many, many people appreciate that. So thank you so much, Nina, for joining us. And folks, thank you for tuning in. And we'll see you next week.